Welcome to the Every Movie Ever podcast. Just go, just go open the video store. Yeah, open the video store. Shut the fuck up, junkie. The following episode contains spoilers. So I was, I did a bit of research and I always like to do this. I always like to sort of try and do a bit of Googling and figure out when a film came out, what was going on around it. Okay. And so 1994, 1993, it was being made. 1994, it came out. Uh, you had eight to about eight or 12 alternative rock albums, top number one billboard chart. You had Nine Inch Nails, Weezer, Soundgarden, Nirvana, um, In Utero came out, Pablo, Pablo Honey by Radiohead oh came out. God. Pixies were on an album like three or four, right? Imagine that being life. Imagine that being life. Yeah, just imagine right? imagine that being like top of the pops. Yeah. Like, Contemporary yeah. music, you could see these bands play at festivals together. God, that's fucked. So there was definitely that sort of vibe going on culturally in music, but you contrast that to the top grossing movies of 1993. Mm-hmm. Jurassic Park, The Fugitive, okay. The Firm, Sleepless mm-hmm. in Seattle, Mrs. Okay. Doubtfire, Cliffhanger, with Sylvester Stallone was one of the top yeah. 10 grossing films. Now, they're not bad films. Yeah. But I'm just saying they're not realism. It's glam rock spectacle. Jurassic Park know. is glam I mean, rock spectacle. Oh, like golden oldie formulas like Sleepless in Seattle. It's, yeah. it's not films about messy reality. It's films about beautiful people in unique situations. Did your dad not dress up as a Scottish housekeeper just to stay in contact with you uh i think he may have dressed up as a scottish housekeeper to deliberately not stay in contact with me i'm not sure yeah you forget you and i are the same we are both uh (laughs) yeah maybe not orphans maybe not orphans that was a shit joke let's move on let's let's edit that one out (laughs) but um there wasn't movies there wasn't culture about what you and I and people in this era were living through. I agree. This was quite, this was like quite punk rock in a sense where it comes out, it's shot in black and white for fuck's sakes because that's the film they could afford. Yeah, yeah, It's a, it's a massive fuck you. It's like, a, it's a gorilla. Me and, me and my little, I say little, me and my group of friends in yep. that period of time yep. were the, the rebels of the small town. It was us collectively putting a, a middle finger up saying, fuck you. I just wanna, I just wanna enjoy myself. I don't wanna fucking focus on running around like yeah. clambering after small change and, and rushing to get a mortgage and all this I don't respect what you stand shit. for. Exactly. Fuck yeah. what you stand for. I just wanna be happy. Yeah. That was our main standpoint, and we saw ourselves as this weird little guerrilla army. If one person had a problem, everyone had a problem. Yeah. If one person was happy, everyone was fucking happy. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. One person showed up with with beers. Everyone had beers. If one person showed up with pot, everyone smoked. Yeah. It was just a fucking, it was a wonderful, just a beautiful, weird little anti-society in society. I think I will always miss, uh, and I, I realized this uh, in recent years, I never got into skating because skateboards were expensive, the shoes were expensive, couldn't mm-hmm. afford to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that rather than it being a good thing that I couldn't do, it was a bad thing that I didn't want to do and everyone that liked it or did it was a wanker, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rude, but... Right. We'll continue. Uh, and it was the same with sports, uh, like football or going to the gym or all that sort of stuff. It was like, if I can't do it, I'm not mm-hmm. going to admit that. I'm going to pretend to myself instead that I don't want to do it or that it's not worth doing. Yeah. Okay. And then sort of early 30s, I'm sat there going, I am a stationary person who lives a completely 
inactive existence because apparently when I was 14, I decided that people like I was going to rebel by not doing exercise and like, who's watching? Who cares? Yeah, no one. I'm the the only figure of authority left in my life is myself. So when I'm <laughs> yeah. rebelling, I'm literally just <laughs> sticking middle fingers in my own face going, yeah, fuck you authority. I'm not going to yeah. go to bed yet. Yeah. I know it's 4am and I've got shit to do in the morning, but fuck you. I'm a punky rebel. I know that I've got B cup tits, but donuts taste delicious at 3am. Exactly, yeah, right? I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm 33 and I'm in the exact same boat. Yeah. No one cares. No one's watching. No one's, no one's, we're not getting marks. We're yeah, still being No rebel. one's applauding. No one's doing anything. I think that's part of my nostalgia for this, for this era was that there was, or there were structures to rebel against. Yeah, it course. was school. It was your parents. It was society saying that you should listen to your guidance counselor and get a job exporting paper plates in an office and all that sort of shit. I was like, no, I'm going to join a band. Dude, our fucking loitering spot and our skate spot was the magistrate's courts <laughs> in no our way. small town. It was, it was the courts. That's where we hung out. You, you talked to anyone in their their like late 20s, early 30s, and you yeah. mentioned the courts from... If you ever meet anyone from Telford, just mention the courts. They know exactly what you're talking about yeah. it, in any context. What happened to that little tribal system that we sort of lived in? Does it, it still happen now? It's... It, sort of branched off into its own little subcultures i think i think some people were like some people were like i'm fucking putting my middle finger up and i'm saying i hate this and i hate that and i hate this like yep. i can't do anything about it but i can just go be happy doing something else or i can try and chase happiness being doing something else and trying different things and blah blah and other people stay true to the cause you know that's fucking awesome fair play to them and they're they're happy i think are they uh, or are they just crackheads now I'm not sure. I think it's a mixture of both. Some of them did go the crack route. I've bumped into a couple of people that I used to hang out with back in the day, and they are they are like full blown uh, uh, yeah. crack fiends, which is yeah. fair. You know, yeah, if that's what you want enough. to do. More power to you. Yeah. Have fun. I'm sure. I, I hear. I hear good things about crack. Yeah. I mean, dentists have got a dentists got to work. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. And also, let's be fair. <laughs> I I really enjoy. Like, what's a, what's a thing that you really enjoy? You're vegan, right? So you really like. Um... Right now, I'm yeah. sober. I'm vegan. Mm -hmm. And I really, really enjoy. This is gonna make me sound sad as shit. Uh, donuts, donuts, right? Donut. Okay. Mm. So, uh, if you had uh, two pound fifty mm -hmm. of money in your yep. life at all, you had your rent due, you yeah. had bills you had to pay. Yeah, I'm buying you a donut. You're buying a donut, yeah, right? Yeah, 100%. That's how good donuts are. Yeah. If it was also illegal and it was killing you, and you mm. had no teeth and no libido, and you lived mm -hmm. on the street. Mm -hmm. If you're still buying a donut, it must be a pretty good fucking donut. And that's... Oh, these donuts are the best. I'd buy yeah. a donut, 100%. So you, yeah, exactly. That's, a, that's exactly what I think I'd go as far at. as till I'm like... and I think my cut-off point for donuts would be mm -hmm. me physically toothless yep. giving gummy blowjobs behind a KFC in exchange for donuts. I would Does probably it call it a day have to be a KFC? What if I mean, it were a The co-op's fancy, man. The competition around there is it's tough. Co-op's not fancy. I, it doesn't smell like chicken grease. I think I'd stand a better chance with, like behind the KFC than the co-op. Chicken cottage? Chicken cottage? I mean, I don't know. I don't think that that's going to send out the right people. I think that, that attracts a certain type of customer. Fair enough. Choice yeah. between your site or donuts? Right now? Yeah. 
It'd be my site, 100%. Be my, I'm not silly about it. Go back at, like when I'm not sober and ask me about... What do you mean when you're not sober? You're sober, you're smashing it. There's not going to be a time when you're not sober. No, no, no. Go back to when I wasn't sober. Oh, okay, and I yeah. was like in the thralls of whatever fucking... You enthusiasm. Know, substances. Yeah, enthusiasms that were yeah, about. Yeah. Hobbies. And ask me that question. Then, you know, it'd be a harder decision. It's obviously going to be the site now. Yeah, fair enough. I'm just really fucking boring now, to be honest with you, man. There's nothing that really gets my gears going. This is why I'd sit around and watch movies and play video games and drink inordinate amounts of coffee. Oh, yeah, none taken, mate. None taken, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you, Vision or your donuts? Uh, I don't give a shit about donuts, if I'm honest. I, your I, vision or your vices? What are you saying? Uh, I've got a couple of vices, but if I lump them together... I would still pick my vision because vices are good and all, right? Yeah. But I think I think there's a I think my attachment to them has always been in a clerk's kind of way. They've been my way of differentiating myself from everyone else. It's that thing of like I'm cool because I've got these vices and I'm comfortable with them, and mm -hmm. you've got them and you're not comfortable with them, or you don't have them at all because you're square and normal, and they've been a little badge of identity. And I feel like my inner Randall has just turned around and gone, dude, like at a certain point, you have to choose different things and grow up, right? You have to change as a person and identify yourself Only through different unhappy. things. I don't Only... know, is it unhappiness or is it like a desire to grow, you know? like you, Not really, because he, he accepts his flaws and that like, look, I do my job shittily and I go and rent yeah. fucking hermaphroditic porn, but he's fine with it. You know what I mean? Like he's not sitting around yeah. whinging about it. I think, oh, the point, I think I've been I think I've been Randall for the last ten years. It's just I can feel my inner needles shifting towards Dante. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone hits Dante at some point, give or take. Yeah. But everyone's Randall at some point to give or take. I think that's what makes it so personable. Everyone's mm. fucking Jay at some point. You know what I mean? So, clerks, we, you and I both gone on about how much we love it. Mm -hmm. What are your criticisms of it? Um, Let's say I've never seen any Kevin Smith film. I've never seen okay. any films except blockbuster, Marvel movie, this, that, or the other. Mm -hmm. And I've listened to this podcast and I've decided I'm going to watch it. What are the things that you think uh, would be a difficult sticking point for this viewer? You can tell that this is a film made very early in his career. Obviously, it's his first movie. But if you've never seen or never, or you don't know anything about it, you will know that it is someone's very first movie. Yeah, it's very much a student film. Yeah. So it's a, it's a it's a film student's film, but I think it's the best fucking type of film school that you can do. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's it's sack it's, off the school and go make a movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he he funded this film by taking out loads of credit cards, uh, yeah. maxing them out, selling his comic book collection, shooting it at night at the place he worked. It's it's fantastic what he's achieved, but nonetheless, it's a student's first film with his mates acting in it, and not all of his mates are fantastic actors. Uh, the sound is not always fantastic and it's in black and white because that's the only film stock that they could afford. Like, it's not a pretty I, film. I love that it's in black and white. I think I think that makes it oh, no, more same. aesthetically pleasing for me. I wouldn't call I, that as like a negative or like a No, no, no. A I, think, I, think it, I think it's thematically useful because unlike his later films, this one's quite melancholy in its, in its tone and its mood. And the black and white really helps sort of build that sense of malaise and sadness and frustration and you know yeah so the black and white isn't a downside it's just if you weren't used to black and white indie films from 1994 it's going to be a, a sticking point perhaps 
I think some of some of the uh, cinematography is a little shaky. Some of the camera work's a little shaky, but it, it I mean, you're being very to, generous. Yeah, it adds to the feel of it, though. It adds to the home movie relatability that yeah. I. I think the reason that I loved it, I loved watching it again, is the black and white makes it seem more nostalgic. It makes me really? feel like when I like back in the day when I saw it, I, the black and white wasn't jarring or and it, it didn't really mean anything. I was just sort of like, oh, hmm. it's a fucking black and white movie. But now I yeah. watch it, it's like it's it sounds stupid, but you know when you watch an old movie that you saw yeah. when you were a kid? Yeah, like Sunday afternoon. Sunday yeah. afternoon, you you I when, when I say Kong a kid, I mean like a like a kid kid, you know. Yeah, Your yeah, mom yeah. is settled in to watch a fucking to watch a yeah, film yeah. at four PM. And it's like Gone with the Wind or Casablanca or some shit like that. Yeah, old school. Yeah, old school cinema. And you sit down and you're watching it. For me, it was always um, like an old 1950s sci-fi. Nice. Um, uh, Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet was great. Uh, the Incredible Shrinking Man. This kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And it just it reminds me of that, and it makes me feel I don't know warm and fuzzy. But back in the day, it didn't make me feel like that. I think the older I get, the more I appreciate the black and white. You see, it's an interesting one because I don't, I don't get that from the black and white. But I do get, I do get um, from the sort of shit cinematography and the mm. the shit acting and the, this that and the other. It's it sort of transcend. I, I'm never I never forget the fact that I'm watching a film because I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't forget the fact that I'm watching a film. Yeah. And so what I'm doing instead is I'm consciously and like very aware of the fact that I'm watching a film and always analysing why has this person written this bit of script to say this why have they shot it this way why have they done that okay okay i can see what you're saying like a like an almost like a how-to not even no not like a how-to like so for instance the film's a series of vignettes right there's like yeah, a yeah. unconnected narrative moments so the jizz mopper scene where yeah, yeah. randall and dante are just there talking about the job where um you go into a nudie booth and there's a guy's job to clean the windows of of come after you've left right yeah yeah and then the customer's like oh this is disgusting i'm going to complain but his items in his hand are um glass cleaner and um uh paper towels yeah. and shit like that yeah, yeah, yeah and it's very clearly like that's his job and he's offended by it but because it's so poorly shot and so poorly like you know put together i'm sort of rather than just watching it and going oh it's a funny bit i'm going why why make that joke why this that the other and it's it's consciously in there because the Jizmopper guy is an audience surrogate for the people who are going to watch it and complain about the vulgarity. Yeah. Kevin Smith's put that guy in there to complain about the vulgarity and be shown as a hypocrite. I get you. It's little moments like that where like, because yeah, yeah. the film's so poorly put together, I'm constantly trying to figure out why Kevin Smith a... has done what he does. I get you. I... Man, that's a good way to look at that moment. I took that slightly differently. I took that as Randall looking at a customer being like, okay, this guy's got fucking Windex and paper towels in his arm. Yeah, yeah. And then starts talking about, oh, hey, did you know that, that there's a job called a cum mapper? You know, they oh, clean so he's the doing it as like a deliberate insult like to a, the customer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a deliberate thing as if to be sort of like every item that this guy has in his hands make him, makes him look like a cum mapper. And so Randall spots this and then in a, in a, in a play to be like humorous towards Dante, he's yeah. like, hey, this job exists. This is what they use. Uh, and then as ah. they're talking about it, Dante's ringing up this guy's equipment, which is everything that a cum mopper yeah. would need. But that's interesting that, that like you took it that way because that is... I literally, whilst I watched this film, yeah. every every vignette that that, that, that was happening, yeah, I was yeah, sort yeah. of analysing as like, obviously when you when you make your first bit of art, you've had your whole life to make it. 
yeah, yeah, right? definitely. You're always thinking about how it's going to be perceived and what mm-hmm. people are going to take from it. And you've only got one chance to say all this stuff because you don't know it's going to succeed. As far as the, everyone making this film was aware, this was going to be their one shot to say shit. Yeah. And so every vignette, I'm like, why is this in there? And what what is what are they trying to tell me about themselves uh, okay. with this vignette? So, for instance, the the video scene where he's uh, he's got the young mother who's walked in and asked for a particular <laughs> oh film, and he's like, oh, let me see if I can order it. And then he picks up the phone, rings the distributor, and then just lists like forty incredibly vulgar I mean, pornography VHSs. Can we just a bit of context? Randall's on the phone with his video supplier. There is. Shall a we mother. play the clip? Please play the clip. Okay, let's play the clip. Here we go. Excuse me. Do you sell videotapes? Yeah. What are you looking for? Happy Scrappy Hero Pop. Uh, one second. I'm on the phone to Distribution House now. Let me make sure they got it. Okay. What's it called again? Happy Scrappy Hero Pop. Happy Scrappy. She loves it. Obviously. Uh, yeah. Hi. This is RST Video Calling. Customer number four three five two. I'd like to place an order. Okay, I need one each of the following tapes. Whispers in the Wind, To Each His Own, Put It Where It Doesn't Belong, My Pipes Need Cleaning, All Tit Fucking Volume 8, I Need Your Cock, Ass Worshipping Rim Jobbers, My Cut and Eight Shafts, Come Clean, Come Gargling Naked Sluts, Come Buns 3, Coming in Socks, Come On Eileen, Huge Black Cocks with Pearly White Cum, Girls Who Crave Cock, Girls Who Crave Cunt, Met Alone 2, The KY Connection, Pink Pussy Lips, Oh, yeah, and uh, all holes filled with hard cock. Yep. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, what was that called again? And there we go. How, I mean... It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But do you not, but do you not, is there not a bit of you that sits there and goes, why, why is that in there? What's, what's the, what's the underlying, like, message of that scene being there? I think it's to illustrate Randall's complete lack of any sort of fucking shame or social surprise yeah. any sort of like care in the world towards what people think of him or his establishment or his job or his work ethic or his yeah. customer base yeah he is he's complete he's like truth incarnate he is the awkward he is the awkward truth and the uncaring unvarnished reality yeah made manifest he doesn't give a shit it's not his responsibility to make other people feel good about the world yeah yeah if you don't and... like it don't look at it yeah and he has he doesn't need anyone's respect or validation so he's not going to make any moves towards earning it yeah fuck no so it's like a it's an essential and necessary character moment and i think every film i i occasionally if i'm really enjoying it and i'm watching it for the second or third time i'll start trying to like dissect why why it works and what's in there and why it's in there mm-hmm. and i think this more than any other film the the homemadeness of it really brought that Dude, to the fucking, fore oh man look at silent bob silent bob in this movie has one bit of dialogue to your point doing that we've also got these two fucking almost characters on the very edge just on the outside they're, they're incredible off, living their own life doing their own thing almost like they kind of interact every now and then yeah, they're like a Greek chorus. They're like the yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. They're like the, <laughs> it's, the sort it's a of really poetic way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're just you know they're not they're they're Rosenkrantz and Guildenstern. They're just there on the outside of the events, sort of reacting to what's happening without really taking part in what's happening. It's the best writing. Oh, they're incredible, dude. I've never fucking known anything like this. I think the bit where they come back from Dante's ex girlfriend's wake. 
I'm not going to mention what happens because it's amazing, but they're like, <laughs> Jay interrupts a conversation and they, they're like, why don't you fucking get out of here, you, you dirty drug dealer? Always. And he's like, hey man, I'm not a drug dealer. Well, Jay's like, hey man, I'm not I'm not dealing drugs. <laughs> and then at that point, someone comes up, hey man, what you got? And he's like, yeah, brother, what's, what's you after? What's Does you a deal in the middle of high? the sentence and then goes back to, so why would you accuse me of dealing drugs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like immediately, it's fucking, it is wonderful, wonderful fucking addition just for no reason. For yeah. seemingly no reason. Well, the thing is that these two characters, Jay and Silent Bob, are one of the main uh, sort of uh, components that tie this series of films together. Mm -hmm. And the way they're used and the way they are changes throughout the series of films. And we'll get into it because I think it's fascinating how they, they, they evolve. But uh, Jay and Silent Bob. Silent Bob is played by Kevin Smith, the writer-director. Mm -hmm. uh, and Jay is his childhood friend, Jason Mewes, who's just an incredible comedic genius without even trying. But I think what's fantastic about them is they're ridiculous and they are sublime at the same time. Like Jay is obnoxious and horrible and juvenile and like goofy, goofy and incredibly lovable all at the same time. Yeah, he's the lovable worst person you've ever met. He's exactly that. He's exactly yeah. that. He's just an like a charming mess of a person. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and uh, the way that Kevin Smith uses Silent Bob is 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 genius, especially at the end of this film. The, the fucking Jay is the best. He's the best attribute of every negative attribute <laughs> that exists. Right. That's that's, that's his embodiment. Yeah, yeah. Every every guy in your hometown that you didn't get on with. Yes. He's that combined with. Long a hair, real person, an undercut, long hair, a backwards and... cap, and a fucking pocket full of pocket full of drugs, right? But but lovable, but in incredibly every way. lovable, and also yeah. steals donuts. Yeah. So yeah. his moral his moral meter is all over the fucking shop, right? Oh, he's just there to enjoy himself and have a good time. Yeah, he's un he's unabashedly what what's that word? Amoral. I guess. Yeah. He's unashamedly. Unashamedly, there we go. Amoral. Unashamedly himself there's yeah. no one to yeah, apologize yeah. to there's no there's no fucking about nah. silent bob however is like he is he's like the ultimate hype man without ever saying anything yeah yeah D never a single word but always just willing to contribute to whatever is going on around him with enthusiasm and grace you i mean there's so few people on the planet that can be that comedically intellectual with zero said with no yeah. no fucking words i mean you're looking at like rowan atkinson is obviously like mr bean he's popular yeah, yeah. the world Genius, because yeah. he doesn't utter a word but is still fucking hilarious um yeah but it's it's that sort of it's, it's that arena of like oh yeah that arena of like visual and physical comedy but it's universal comedy yeah 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 100%. you don't have to speak english to understand silent bob's no. like, what he's trying to say or what no. his meaning is behind stuff or why he's doing certain things or like just... the cultural of that area or exactly. of that country or era no it's it literally just exists it's universal it's the world around it's fucking everyone can relate to silent yeah. bob and then when he fucking turns out to be this wise as fuck dante is in like the the whole the end of the movie dante is in like the peak of conflict fuck, i'm yeah. i'm dating one girl i want to get back with another girl doesn't know what to do. I'm, Peak conflict for his character arc. Does it totally fucked? Totally fucked. And Silent Bob just pops out, stands there, and the first time he opens his mouth was the shortest bit of dialogue in the movie. But it is so fucking poignant and just seemingly solves Darty. Just, just play it, man. Just, just play, play it. it. Here we go. You know, there's a million fine-looking women in the world, dude, but they don't all bring you lasagna at work. Most of them just cheat on you. Come on, lame dick. 
Yeah, yeah. He's right. I love her. And with that, he fucking solves Dante's like yeah. entire crises in one sentence. Just cuts right through it. It's and insane. again, because he because he for the entire film he's just been an observer and he's been one who's outside the the corner shop, yeah, uh, selling drugs, not talking, and he hangs around with the absolute fucking lovable moron that is Jay. It's the last source that you expect any sort of conflict resolution or wisdom yeah, to come yeah. from, and it hits you like a blindside. It's genius. But I mean, with all this being said, we've gone into like a shitload of what we love and why we love it and mm -hmm. the, the nostalgia and what it means to us personally and stuff like that. The main takeaway from this movie that everyone needs to understand is that they did the Family Guy cutaway before Family Guy did the Family Guy cutaway. Oh, hell yeah. They did. Oh, yeah. The main thing that like Family Guy is famous for, especially within like my group of friends, when Family Guy first came about, they were like, the cutaways are fucking insane. The cutaway funny. joke was the, was the comedic innovation of Family Guy. That was it. Right. It was The Simpsons with comedic cutaways. Yeah, and this movie yeah. did it a decade before, and it did it so fucking well. I would argue that this movie and, and the whole universe of movies that it belongs to mm -hmm. is without these movies, there's no Judd Apatow, Seth Rogen, um, Bridesmaids, uh, Pineapple Express, that whole sort of style Freaks of comedy. Freaks and Geeks, that, man. Freaks and Geeks. That whole 2010s comedy that mm -hmm. became completely dominated the box office yeah. was prototyped in this film and the ones we're about to cover on this podcast. Well, this film literally stands up in in front of, you know, classic 80s cinema, huge fucking blockbusters that are coming out left, right and center. As you mm -hmm. said, they're all very sort of like... Uh, shiny. Very fanciful and shiny and overproduced. Not overproduced, very well-produced and very, yeah. very big budgets. This one stands up and goes, hey man, you can just be in a fucking flannel shirt and a backwards cap and you can make a badass movie. All you got to do... For 20 grand. Is fucking sit down... Get a, get a group of people around you that want to do the same shit and then just fucking do it. And then there and you talk go. talk about shit that's real and, there you and go. honest and, and a bit scary to admit. That's it. And then Harvey Weinstein buys the movie from you at a film festival. I mean, he's a nice guy, right? What's he doing now? Well, do you know what? Harvey Weinstein is an, a sort of integral part of Kevin Smith's career because uh, mm -hmm. he funded basically the first fucking 15, 20 of them. However, when all the Weinstein stuff came out, do you know what Kevin Smith did? He donated the royalties, mm -hmm. the total royalties of every film that Weinstein had anything to do with to domestic abuse charities. So anytime you him, watch man. a Kevin Smith film that has Harvey Weinstein producing it, mm -hmm. you are genuinely raising money for charities. Do you see what I'm saying though? Like who does that? Geniuses, geniuses. Geniuses do that shit, man. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. And it's so with so... that, I very much recommend that you do exactly that. Find this film uh, on Amazon Prime, rent it, it's £3.50, it's dead easy to get. Uh, and you're actually doing work for charity whilst you watch this incredible film. Please go and watch it. It is literally one of the funniest, most enjoyable, most relatable 90s Janky, movies ever. Honestly, slightly poorly made, but badly acted, incredible, deep, shallow, vulgar. It's beautiful. It's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful piece of cinema. It is. And you, it'll just, it, it, there's something there for everyone. Literally every single person, there's something there for you. Couldn't agree with you more. What are you going to rate it? What, what would I rate it? Uh, I need to think about that one. What would you rate it? I'm going eight. Eight? Why, eight. why not? Why eight? Why not if ten? If you would have asked me uh, when I was 14, it would have been ten because yep. it was life-affirming. It was I was living that moment at that time. I what can, are the two that it's lost? Uh, the two that it's lost is that since then, I've seen what Kevin Smith can do. Yeah. And I know that Kevin Smith, in my opinion, he gets better. He does. He gets worse first, but then he gets he, better. He gets a little worse. Let's not... 
we'll, we'll, we'll get, get into, into it. that. That's more rats. The next episode, yeah, and next I've episode. got opinions. But he, in my opinion, he gets better. Yes, and he, does. he is still getting better now. So to give him a 10 this early on, I feel is unfair. Okay. Because you're, then there's no way Allowing some headroom. Yeah. yeah. I'd say, I'd say a seven. I'd say there's, okay. there's bits of it that comedically don't land for me. Okay. Uh, because they were, they were controversial at their time. Like mm -hmm. there are, there's vulgarity in there that's, to contemporary audiences, there's bits of this film that might seem like vulgarity for vulgarity's sake. But at the time, they would have been quite controversial and transgressive and mm -hmm. punk rock and all that sort of stuff. So it, it loses a point there. There's no denying that a, a fair chunk of the acting is is difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think he, I, I agree with you. I think he, he makes a similar point better in later films. He does. The thing that I'll always respect about this movie is there is a lot of, a lot of turns of phrase. There's a lot of language and stuff that wouldn't be acceptable today. Not so much. Not, Not so, so much. much but... And I think what's fascinating about that is even in those instances where where that is the case, yep. another character then pulls that character up on it. A hundred percent. It's it's corrected immediately. But this is back in '94, and if you think yeah. about it, this is it's almost like historical importance that we have these moments. Oh, hell yeah. Because these moments existed and they need to be acknowledged that they existed so that we can move past them. Yeah. I think this movie does a fucking great job of everything involved. And I was surprised, realistic, because when I, when I came to watch this, I was expecting to have to do a fair bit of forgiving it for its... Mm -hmm. so, but it's weirdly quite progressive for 94. Massively progressive like, for 94. The female characters have all got agency and don't take shit and have full Dude, developed characters. And Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith will always write women as badass as possible doesn't matter whether yeah. they're like uh with like heroes or villains or fucking cameos uh, cameos yeah. character actors they're badass yeah and it's it, there is never a fucking stone that's left unturned when it comes to it there's no the character development in all of his movies is phenomenal yeah more rats phenomenal. Anyway, more rats anyway uh <laughs> let's get into that next episode for now uh we got a wrap up uh we love you all very dearly tune in on wednesday the 26th Instagram Live, where we have the competition winner being announced. And yes, until we see you next time, we love you dearly. I've been Rob McFarlane. I've been Ben Groves. And uh, see you next time. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Consume. Consume. Please. <laughs>